Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. All right, good morning, everybody. It is so good to uh, be here in front of you all this morning, being able to uh, speak the word of the Lord. If everyone will be turning to Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3. I'd like to start with um, a section of Scripture that has always, or for a very long time, been very dear to me. It's been very encouraging to me. For those who were here last time I spoke, I spoke a whole lot on uh, the practical implications of loving one another in the church and not just a, I love you but I don't really like you type mentality, but no, loving one another with a love that you can actually feel. Uh, The way Paul puts it, an affection from Christ towards one another. As we know in life, how long do those uh, warm affections last. Uh, Usually they tend to be very, very temporary. Uh, I heard one pastor put it like this, and this will be kind of the main point of the message we'll get to later. Whenever we have the uh, the overwhelming joy, the bubbling over of uh, hope, it always seems to be a hole in the bucket that we carry around. Uh, It doesn't seem to last forever. It's something that constantly needs refueling. And so uh, today's message is going to be this need for that daily renewal that we have in Christ. And God actually made us, He designed us to need that refueling. So we're going to start with Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read through this really quick and uh, then we'll talk about it. So Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, and I don't want to go too much in the historical time, but Joshua was the high priest in the rebuilding of uh, Jerusalem during the Persian Empire. So this was after the destruction of everything in the Babylonian Empire. And you've got, uh, you know, Nehemiah, Ezra, you've got Zerubbabel, the uh, the governor, you've got Joshua, the high priest, kind of uh, pioneering the rebuilding of Jerusalem. So that's kind of who he's talking about, Zechariah's talking about. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of Yahweh, or the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, Yahweh who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand delivered from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said, See, I have made your iniquity pass away from you, and and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. Then the angel of Yahweh testified to Joshua saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, 
if you will walk in my ways and if you will keep the responsibility given by me, then you will also render justice in my house and also keep my court and I will grant, uh, grant you access to walk among these who are standing here. Now listen, Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who are sitting in front of you, indeed they are men who are a wondrous sign, for behold, I am going to bring in my servant the branch. Let's take a moment to pray. God, right now we come before you. We thank you that you've blessed us with the multitudes of blessings that we have. God, we don't always understand why you've designed things the way that you have, but we want to thank you, we want to give you glory, and we want to praise you as your understanding and wisdom is infinite. We couldn't possibly comprehend it. So Lord, we trust you in all things. We ask that you please open the eyes of our heart of the passages that we're going to be going through today. And Lord, please encourage us from your word by the assuring love that you have for us. And it's through your holy name we pray. Amen. So let's start right here at the top of this really quick. I want to kind of brew through this. So notice that you see Satan standing right there uh, to accuse Joshua. Now Joshua was a high priest, of course, but he was by no means uh, a perfect person. The only perfect human being to ever walk this earth was Jesus. And of course, Jesus was God in the flesh. Every other human being, including all of us in this room, uh, we are not perfect, and we are very aware of our imperfections, of our shortcomings, of our sins, the things that we've done wrong. We're very aware of that. So just like we see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that Satan day and night is before the throne accusing the brethren. Um, he is the slanderer of the brethren, which by the way, I'll put a little uh, footnote here, which should be a major encouragement not to gossip about other people is because that is one of Satan's primary, I guess you could say, um, responsibilities or things that he's responsible for is slandering, gossiping about the brother and constantly being the accuser. Do you see what this person did wrong? Uh, uh, constantly confessing our faults and how guilty we are. So you see Satan doing this even back in the Old Testament, uh, being the accuser. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord had said to Satan, Yahweh, or the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand delivered from the fire? So I kind of want to start with the end point first. That if you are saved then this is describing you. You are a brand that has been delivered from the fire, delivered from the judgment God has promised to come. And this is some of the most encouraging parts right here. It's such a good picture to me of what salvation is really like. So <clears throat> our good works are as filthy rags before the Lord, right? Not that our good works are bad necessarily. Our good works cannot save us. Uh, the things that we think, you know, we've done that's so good that, you know, it's good enough to, you know, kind of justify me in court. 
that says filthy rags before the Lord. So, and we're uh, known, you know, for our sin, our, like that song, our proneness to wander. So Joshua, being a high priest, still not perfect, we see that he's clothed in filthy garments. Well, the way I like to picture this is as long as I'm in this flesh, I feel like I am, I'm clothed with filthy garments. Now, I kind of relate that to all of my imperfections. Um, it's I want everyone to do things my way, and I get mad when they don't. And uh, I retaliate, or especially, you know, in marriage, I make comments that I shouldn't make. Or I misjudge, you know, perhaps my wife's intentions, you know, when she's doing something good. There's all sorts of wrestles that we have, you know, with our own pride, wanting things done our way. It's part of our fleshly, sinful nature. And we have to wrestle with this every single day. That is not an easy wrestle. Uh, it's a very um, agonizing wrestle the way <clears throat> I would like to put it. So I have to fight with this. I'm not a perfect person. And none of us are perfect. And by the way, is that an excuse for me to go around acting imperfectly? Well, you know, I can just do this because, well, who's perfect, right? Absolutely not. Uh, none of us are excused from our imperfections. Just fortunately, we have a Savior to justify us. So we see that <clears throat> it's told for Joshua's filthy garments to be removed from him and then for him to have placed on him clean garments. Now that may sound simple to some, but I can't even put into words how encouraging that this is to me. That one day I'm going to be before the throne and all of my filthy garments are going to be removed totally from me, the separation from this flesh. Um, some people are very, very afraid of death, but I have to be extremely honest. Any day... God wants to remove me from this flesh will be a very, very good day. It's basically like this. The worst part of me, the selfishness, the things that I shouldn't have done, the things that I shouldn't have said, uh, the struggle with pride, the struggle with wanting you know, things done you know, my way because you know, my way is perfect, right? You know, All of that is going to be removed from me. And then I'm going to be put into a body that never has to wrestle with that, never has to sin again. That's the encouraging part. Now, here's the part that gets a little bit more difficult. The time between now and that time. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1, just read uh, 1 through 5. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, uh, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also formerly conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature 
children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we are, were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by <clears throat> grace you have been saved. So we've got this problem here on earth. One, none of us in this room have ever met anyone who was not formerly a, a son of disobedience, a son of the wrath to come. Some are still sons of wrath and sons of disobedience, and we are the ones who have been saved. We have uh, <clears throat> been rescued from our prior status of that wrath abiding on us because now it's not appointed to us to go through that wrath because Jesus has taken that from us. I'm going to flip over now to Romans chapter 5. But just because we've been saved from that doesn't mean we don't still wrestle with the flesh that's constantly tugging on us day after day after day. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a for the good man, someone would dare to even die. But God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So let me explain something that I wrestle with. Whenever I make a comment that I shouldn't have made, that I do something that I shouldn't do, and then, you know, looking back on it afterwards, I wrestle a little bit with the fact of how much does God really love me in these times? And whenever you think or you're convinced somehow that God loves you a little bit less, then what does that do? That kind of spirals you downward with discouragement, doesn't it? And you, you really have to go back to God for that renewal. But <clears throat> this is uh, one of the points I want to make, is God's love is not removed from us. See, at one point in time, I was under this impression <clears throat> that God almost had uh, an, an emotional roller coaster based on my performance. You know, because that's generally how we are, isn't it? You know, based on our performance, we go through kind of a, an emotional roller coaster. It's constantly up and down. But then I think, you know what? God is all-knowing. Before the world was ever made, He knew everything. Right now, in this moment, He knows everything. Before the world was ever made, He knew who I was because He knew that He was going to create me. He knew all of my faults. He knew all the shortcomings that I would have after the moment that He redeemed me. He knew all of my sins. 
all the things that I would ever be ashamed to tell other people. He knows all of this stuff. And in fact, before we got saved, it says we were an enemy of God. You know, we just read that in Romans. So I try to wrestle in my mind, you know, how how can this be? It's one thing to have mercy on us as sinners, and it's an entirely different concept to feel delight and take pleasure in us, because that's what the scriptures say. Uh, we see in uh, Habakkuk 1.13 that God is too pure to look upon evil and cannot look upon trouble, you know, varying depending on what the translation um, explains. But see, that's us. I have done what is evil in the sight of God. And not just, you know, one time, you know, way back then, I've done things repeatedly evil in the sight of God. So how is it even possible that this almighty, perfect, just, holy God can look at me with any form of delight? Just for a moment, I want you to think of past sins in your life. Things that you might be ashamed if anyone else ever found out. Maybe comments that you knew good and well you shouldn't have made to a spouse, to a friend, to a family, to a sibling, a family member, a sibling. Things you've done you shouldn't have done. How can God possibly delight in me after all I've done? Well, one, we know God fixed this problem on the cross because His wrath was on me. When Jesus came, He fixed. Now I'm not appointed unto wrath, but rather to grace. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So then we see this, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now, I had a very hard time wrestling that in my mind. Because, see, you all don't know all of my sin. I know all of my sin. I know how bad I am. I know how wretched I am. And God knows that. How can He possibly even take the slightest bit of joy over me? I'm going to flip to uh, Isaiah chapter 62. I would invite you to uh, turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah chapter 62, let's look at verse uh, 4 and 5. It will no longer be said to you, forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, 
but you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For Yahweh takes pleasure in you, and to him your land will be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. So again, it's one thing just for God to have mercy on me. I mean, that alone, goodness, I would just be eternally grateful for. But the fact that He actually rejoices over me, if you're saved, He rejoices over you. Despite your faults, despite everything you've done wrong, is God always pleased with the decisions you make to do those wrong things? Well, no, of course not. We know that not. You can go to Revelation chapter 2 and 3 and you can see the disappointments of Christ uh, within the church. But the overall delight that he takes in doing this. Look at um, uh, verse 12 here. They will call them the holy people, the redeemed of Yahweh, and you will be called sought out a city not forsaken. Now look at that. Sought out. Because remember, what did Jesus say? We can't come to God in our own strength. He comes to us. He plucks us out of the fire. You didn't come to God by your own self-determination, your own strong will, and certainly not by your record of being perfect. You came because God called you out of darkness like He called Lazarus, Lazarus out of the grave. You know, that's what salvation is like. If God has not called you from death to life, you're still in death. But He has called us into life. And this is something that's been a little bit encouraging to me. We haven't got to the main point yet, but something that has helped me wrestle with this idea. Because of course, God is all-knowing, has always been all-knowing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it shows us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. I'm not going to get in a theological discussion between predestination and free will. I think it's a healthy middle ground between the two. Somehow, I don't have it figured out. Uh, if you think you've got to figure it out, you're probably wrong. Uh, this is something that only God can truly comprehend. So that's not me making something up. God knew who He was going to save before planet Earth was ever made. The Bible says that. And He gives you the Holy Spirit as a promise that His love will never be removed from you. Now, I've had a hard time wrestling that, and a lot of Christians struggle with that. Have I sinned so bad that God is going to kick me to the curb? Have you ever felt like that before? I've messed up too many times. I just can't seem to get it right. And then you get discouraged, don't you? How many of you that are actually dealing with that right now? You don't have to raise your hand. How can God possibly love me? 
Why would God love me? I've rebelled against Him. I've done things that, de- that would be me declaring myself to be His enemy. <clears throat> so God didn't choose you before the foundation of the world, die on the cross to pardon your criminal record against His laws, to sit on the edge of His seat to see if you have enough strength to fight off the flesh, to come to Him on your own. So I think about this in my mind like that. Like, okay, God's not waiting for me to... How many of you uh, are big sports fans? And uh, how many of you have ever uh, liked a team, really, or went for a team, maybe in the Super Bowl or something like that, just because they were the underdog? You know, they were the team that were least likely to win the game, but you were rooting for them because they were the underdog. And then, you know, they ended up winning. You know, we can relate to that, right? God isn't sitting on the throne of heaven right now looking at each and every one of us like the underdog. Like, man, is he, is he going to get it? Is it finally going to click with him? Okay, then, you know, he, he figured it out, so we're good. You know, I get asked this question almost more than any other question. I do question and answer services over at um, the CH Friends School. You want to know one of the most common questions that I get? Is this right here? Or it's some form of this. Why did God create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if He knew Adam and Eve was going to eat? Why would God do that? Why would God even allow that? And all of my students know the answer to this right here. What is the most important thing in the entire universe out of all of creation? I know Ava knows the answer to this. The most important thing out of all of creation in the entire universe and I hope you all memorize this, is the glory of God. Why did God create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if He knew Adam and Eve were going to sin? Because God has a plan for redemption. And it brings Him glory to extend mercy, kindness, and affection to those who do not deserve it. You know what that means? You know what kind of makes that wrestle a little bit easier? God saved me and has affection for me and you all despite our sin, not because we're good, not because He just pities us so bad, but because it brings Him glory to extend that type of love to a people that do not deserve it. God has a plan. (laughs) You know, we fall short sometimes is... uh, we don't always like the plan. Let me explain what I mean. <clears throat> How many of you would love it right now? If you could still live in the flesh. You know, you, I guess you still have your job if you even like your job. I don't know. Uh, you know, if you could, you know, just go home this evening. You never had to sin again. 
You knew that from now until the day you die, you would never do anything displeasing to God ever again. How many of you would like that? That, <laughs> yeah, if you're saved, that's what you want, right? That's the end game. You know, that's the goal. We never want to sin again because we never want to displease God. Let me ask you this. Is God strong enough to grant you that? Yeah, He is, isn't it? How do we know that? Because one day He's going to do it. Like I was just saying, when I'm finally separated from this rotting corpse that I'm living in, I don't have to sin anymore. God is going to make it to where I never have to struggle with sin again. So this is where we wrestle with the plan. Is God, why don't you do that now? <laughs> why can't you just save us all a whole load of trouble and just do that now? Let me funnel back to the original answer. Because the most important thing in the entire universe is the glory of God. And God has a plan. And I thought, well, okay. This idea makes sense. If God granted me my wish of never having to sin again between now and the day I die, that song says we're prone to wander, right? And that's, that's the truth. We are. I might actually, because I have a corrupt heart, I'm not, by no means is my heart you know, completely perfect, I have a corrupt heart, I'm prone to start leaning less off of you know, God's goodness, off of my need to or, uh, talk to God daily, to read His Word daily, and I might actually, and probably very likely, start to trust my own goodness and my own ability to perform and keep the law. Does God save me based on my own individual goodness and my own performance and my own ability to keep the law? Does God save me based on that? <laughs> Thankfully, no, He doesn't. Every single day, I have to go to God for renewal. Because I can, how many of you have ever been just so wrapped up in the Lord in a moment? You know, you're crying, you're just in awe of His majesty, how wonderful He is. And you can't believe that He would save a sinner like you, and you just can't help but drop to your knees and just weep. It's like you want to sing a song, but you can't let the words out without choking up from weeping. Have you ever been there? And then, did you still have that same overwhelming feeling six hours later? <laughs> I've got a problem. There's a hole in the bucket. It's constantly leaking. I constantly need to go to God for renewal. Because even Paul gives a message, if everyone will, go ahead and flip to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, take a look at uh, verse 16 when you get there. 
Therefore we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our, for our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, flip back up to verse 16 really quick. Yet our inner man is being renewed Day by day. Notice Paul's message was not this. Guys, if you do this right here, you can be overwhelming on the inside with hope, with joy, with all of God's glory and beauty, and you just need this one experience and then you're good forever. That wasn't Paul's message. Paul's message was this delight that we're commanded to have in the Lord, it fades. Like I said, it's like you've got air in the tire and you've constantly got to keep filling it up. And then not only that, it's like you've got uh, Satan trying to stick a knife in the tire to make it deflate even quicker. We, are, we have no idea, I'm convinced, that we can even comprehend how dependent we are on God. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> Knowing that we're constantly under assault, we're constantly being accused before the throne day and night, we're constantly wrestling with the flesh, we're constantly needing to be refilled, it would be great if we could be full today off of yesterday's meal, wouldn't it? You know, it would be great if our gas tank would last off of, you know, uh, from the pump last week. But God didn't design creation like that. He designed us to need to go to Him every day because when we stray away, things decay. When you walk away from the buffet, the ticker starts to where you start getting hungry again. So one of the things I've got to ask is, question number one, do you read your Bible every day? No one has to you know, raise your hands or anything. It's not a competition. If we're charged to be renewed day by day, I can't live off of yesterday's meal. My spirit can't live off of yesterday's emotions, yesterday's joy. So question number one, do you read your Bible every day? Do you go to God in prayer every day? <clears throat> question number uh, two, when you read your scriptures, are you letting God change you by what you read? You want to know uh, one of my biggest sticking points in the scripture is I used to just read it and I would read it and I would read it and I'd read it and I would read it, you know, endlessly, you know, every single day, you know, I'd check my thing, I read it today, but it never changed me. It was almost just like I did my task for the day, now close it and let's go back to TV. 
You, you see what I'm saying? Like, I never let the Word change me. But when you read God's Word, hopefully every day, because we need to go to Him for renewal every day, is His Word changing you? Lamentations uh, chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, it kind of summarizes, uh, the loving kindness of Yahweh indeed never cease. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You know, one of Jesus' messages that we find in uh, Matthew, did Jesus ever command people to worry about tomorrow? <laughs> what was the passage? Worry about today, because tomorrow is going to have what? It's going to have its own set of troubles. Look at this. His mercies, His compassions, they're new every day, and they're not built for me tomorrow. They're built for me today. Because you know what I'm supposed to be doing tomorrow? Going to God for tomorrow. You see, having this good relationship with God, and I, I don't say that you know it, to be saved what it means is just to have a relationship with God. Uh, that's, uh, I, I don't think that's true or biblical. Satan has a relationship with God. Um, that's not a good thing. That's not the relationship you want. To have a good functioning relationship with the Lord for that encouragement is going to Him every single day. You know, today most of us in here, we have enough food to last if the supermarkets and everything, you know, shut down and the conspiracy theorists, you know, they, they finally got it right this time and everything just is done. Most of us have enough food in the refrigerator and the pantry and the freezer to, you know, kind of get us along, you know, at least generally, you know, a week to a month if we really had to, if we really had to push the limit, right? When the ancient world noticed, they prayed, uh, give us this day our daily bread, because usually the average slave made enough money at work that day to buy bread on his way home, that kind of depleted that day's wages, and then they would have to go to work tomorrow for the next day's bread. They depended on God every single day for their daily needs. Now let me ask you a question. No one knows the answer better than you do for your own self. Do you depend on God that much? Do you depend on God for your spiritual needs that every single day? And that's tough to do sometimes. <clears throat> I heard one pastor explain it like this. Why does God slowly sanctify me? He could give me the maximum sanctification right out of the gate when I got saved and keep me there. Is God limited by my free will or something? Or, you know, what's the deal here? You know, is, is it possible? Yeah, because He's going to give me that perfect sanctification when He returns. I'll never sin again once He takes me, so why am I sinning now? Why not do it now, Lord? You're going to do it then, so what am I missing? I know that I'm not pleasing you when I give in to pride, selfishness, unrighteously getting anger about unfair, angry about unfair treatment. 
wanting me first all the time. And God knows this and again says that's not the plan. That's not the plan. God takes glory in you needing to go to Him every single day. I want to close with uh, this right here, if you will, flip to uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who indeed did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him over for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is He who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will affliction or turmoil or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, one of the biggest things that discouraged me when I allow this to creep in is this wonder, is God really Loving me like he says he's loving me. Not just with, you know, showing love, but with that actual affection. And I'm positive I'm not the only person in this room who struggles with this when you're face to face with your own failures. The times when you really drop the ball. You really shouldn't have said that. But you did. You really could have done this for the Lord. But you didn't. How does God love me despite my faults? Because that's the plan. Because despite your faults, All of the angels are witnessing the love and mercy and affection that He's extending to you. Not because you deserve it. Your faults, your sins, your failures are evidence to all of creation how much you don't deserve it. And the richness of His glory, of His love, is on display for all of creation to see because God did not withhold the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
from the garden. Because He did not withhold Adam and Eve from sinning. Now for all of creation, we can know for sure that our God truly is a great God that loves us, rich in mercy. His loving kindness never ends. And that even though I fail, even though I don't handle something like I should have handled it, even though I made you know, a passive-aggressive comment that was kind of meant to do its job, but I really didn't want to fight over it, all the times that we fail, we can know that God's love isn't hinging on our ability to keep the law, to perfectly love. But rather, He's chosen to love you. He's chosen to save you, and He's chosen to sanctify you. Remind yourself of this on a daily basis, lest the enemy hinder you from serving the Lord with a joyful, faithful heart. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Despite our faults, despite our failures, despite the times we know we shouldn't have said it, we just blew it. That Paul tells us, you have told us, that nothing can separate us from your love. And we don't get your love based on our ability to perfectly live here on earth. We get your love because you're so rich in mercy. Your compassions are never failing. And they're new every single day. God, you truly are a God of endless new beginnings. So if there's anyone in this room right now discouraged from yesterday's failure, God, I ask that you please renew their spirit today and bring them back to you tomorrow and the next day, and the next day, and so forth. We ask that you please protect us from the slanderings and the discouragements from the evil one. Keep him from us, and keep us from him. God, we love you, we praise you, and we're in awe of what you've extended to us, not because we deserve it, but because you are good. And it's through your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.